Attention, ladies and gentlemen. That's nope. right. Nope. What? What? Nope. It's attention audience, Jordan. Gosh! See? <laughs> I, I set myself up for failure in that one. Nope, nope, nope. Redo! <laughs> <laughs> Take two. Attention audience. That's right. It's that time of the week again. We all know what it is. We love it. We can't wait. It is... It's trivia. Trivia. Trivia time. da 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 Um... I think you got that wrong. Fuck! (laughs) (laughs) All right, take three. Attention, audience. Guess what? It's that time of the week again. We know what it is. We love it. We can't wait every week until it gets to Eric. It's Friday. Friday. Friday Films. Da-da-da. Yes, that's right. Friday Films is back again. Bond in review. It's not like we're going anywhere anytime soon. But we are past the half awake. We are getting towards the end of. Well, actually, this is the end of this Roger is Moore. the this end was of the Roger last Moore. one. Yes. This is the finale, the swan song, if you will, of the Roger Moore generation of James Bonds. Which was actually a decent movie. I, I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. As um, we said, Roger Moore is high highs and low lows. Good that's sir. right. And this is a little bit on the higher side. This was definitely a good one. Uh, but we are back with Bond, A View to a Kill. Not like I said last week, which was from A View to a Kill, because they tricked me and gave me the wrong <laughs> info at the end of the movie. Uh, but it's A View to a Kill, and... Uh, I guess, like you said, the last of the Roger Moore. But with that, Eric, I'll let you take over because I know I liked it. And I know you want to tell me how good you liked it. Absolutely. So go right um, ahead. It was great, man. It's a it's a good, solid Bond movie. Um, we'll get into it when we talk plot. Roger Moore was, you know, you can definitely see the man's age in this movie. But mm-hmm. it's all made up for with Christopher Walken. So with that said, A View to a Kill released May 24th, 1985. Runtime of two hours and 11 minutes. Directed by, yet again, John Glenn, who's done pretty much all of the Roger Moore movies. I think there's one or two he didn't do, but he's done most of them. And I think he does um, The Living Daylights, the the next one, the first Timothy Dalton movie, and then I don't think he does any more after that. I, I could be wrong. But. That's right, and he does two, right, Dalton? Dalton does two, yeah. So we'll be in the Dalton generation for back-to-back films for the next two weeks. Uh, starring yet again, Sir Roger Moore, and the glorious God among men himself, Christopher Walken, which caught me off guard because this is another one of those movies that I had not seen, uh, or at least don't remember seeing. And when I was at the the title menu and like I put it in, it was doing like the quick scenes from the movie because like like the normal DVD menus do. Uh, I saw his face pop up. I'm like. Man, that guy looked familiar because I caught like a brief, quick out of the corner of my eye. I'm like, I wonder who that was. And I like, I hit play and it's going through and I'm like reading the intro credits and I'm reading the names. I'm like, whoa. It's like, I didn't realize he was in this movie. Dude, and he's classic. He's he's always walking, man. Christopher Walken's like one of those guys, like um, Jeff Goldblum. Um, Christopher yeah. Walken and Jeff Goldblum, I always, I always think of them in my head because they are always like themselves. 
Yeah. Like they're phenomenal actors, but they're all, they're so iconic. Their voices are so iconic. And this is no different. This is classic, classic, classic Christopher Walken. The elongated syllables, the, you know, you look at my guy the wrong way. I'm going to stab you in the face with a soldering iron. I mean, that, that Christopher mm-hmm. Walken is what we know, um, know and love. Just a younger version. Um, also starring Tanya Roberts, who you may know from a year before this movie release. She did a movie called Sheena, um, <clears throat> Jungle Princess or something like that. Um, also known as Midge Pinciotti from that 70s show. Donna's huh. mom, if you were, if you remember. Um, I'm a big That 70s Show fan, so of course, in- instantly recognized her. She's done several voice acting gigs and whatnot. She did a voice on like Angry Beavers and Nickelodeon and, and several other things as well. <clears throat> Um, but I mean, pretty much after this movie, she always did kind of smaller roles. She never, this was supposed to be like her big break and she just never really broke out of doing smaller things after this, unfortunately. Uh. Um, but still a good actress budget of $30 million. So we have yet to hit the highest budget of 34 million that Moonraker had. But the movies have been better since Moonraker. Yes. Yes. They got smarter. It seems. Um, so doesn't take money to make a good movie as there are a lot of movies to prove that too this is true this is true so we ready to roll on into the plot good sir yes 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 i'm i'm ready let's kick this off we start with the classic gun opening like always and it's in color I did notice it was in color this time. I did. You know, I noticed I, that too. I yeah, thought that was yeah, really cool. I mean, that it really makes it pop. You know what I mean? You know, you know, they're really gonna throw me for a loop when No Time to Die in April comes out. <laughs> it and comes, the it's all black, black and white. white. <laughs> it's gonna. I'm just gonna completely fuck with me. <laughs> but from the gun barrel intro, we cut to a helicopter flying over a winter wonderland. And we see Bond dressed all in his beautiful white snow snoot, so snow suit. That's a difficult word to say. It is. It's very tricky. Finding the body of a fellow agent and taking a microchip off of it. He proceeds to try and hide when the helicopter flies by, but the helicopter spots him and reports his location to Russians on the ground. And we have, ladies and gentlemen, once again, the fifth ski chase scene. Honestly, I lost track like five movies ago. Yeah, I mean, since since like 1972, I felt like there's been a ski chase scene in every film so far. <laughs> well, it seems to be the thing to do. A ski was probably know. real popular then. I don't real know. popular during that time. Uh, ski chase time, however. So we got Bond, you know, I mean, we won't stick on this long, going in and out down the mountains. He loses his ski yet again on this one. Mm-hmm. Like at the very beginning, too. Which at the very beginning. Uh, takes control of a snowmobile by rimpy, ripping a henchman off with a rope. Yeah, the he's on, I thought that was kind of cool, though. Yes, pretty slick. Um, he's on this snowmobile for all of about five seconds, however. Pretty much. Before a helicopter blows up, the, blows up the snowmobile as he jumps off. And Bond, what does he do? He grabs one of the blades of the, blades of the snowmobile and proceeds to hop on it and use it like a snowboard. Until he turns it into a surfboard over the water at the bottom. Indeed, but not before. As soon as he hops on the snowboard, we cue the Beach Boys. Yeah. <laughs> Beach Boys starts playing for some reason. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I just, I, I'm, I'm, like, I'm confused here. I had this was the first moment where I was like, when this movie started and Beach Boys started playing. Don't get me wrong, I love the Beach Boys, but it was so cheesy and campy and just didn't really fit. 
I was like, oh, God, this is one of those Bond movies. I, I said the same thing. This. I was I like, oh, thing. no. But it's okay because that's literally the worst part of the movie. It is. Yeah, it got so much better. But like, when that started, I said the same thing. I'm like, I like the Beach Boys, but I don't understand why it's in a Bond movie. This does not make sense to me. The placement here was just awkward. Big, they were big in the 80s, man, so that's why. Yeah. Um, Bond <laughs> pursues to continue to snowboard down the mountain, going back and forth, uh, uses a flare to take out the pursuing helicopter. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty neat little scene. Bond, Bond, you know, once he gets to the bottom of the snow slope, he kind of dashes across, across a stretch of water and comes to a stop where he sees a hatch open up in the ice and begins to run to it. And we see... backward, by the way. Oh, did I get it backward? Yeah, because he, he uh, comes down doing the, during the beach ball or beach boys part and like goes across a little water with the ski and then he loses it. And then he's going underneath like a, a little ice cliff when the helicopter is going by oh, the yeah, lake right, shooting at right. him. And that's when he shoots the flare over and the helicopter crashes. And when he looks over, he sees one of the little icebergs, a little that's hatch it. with a British flag opens up on one of the middle of the icebergs. It and all so he like, runs quick. out that way. It does. <laughs> it really does. But, um, and this is Bond's super secret sub with, as always, a beautiful lady friend waiting for him inside. She's happy to see Bond. You know, she leaves the control panel, and they make epic sexy time as the as the submarine sails off into the distance. Why can't that sub ever be in Q time? Right, right. Um, and from after sexy time, we cut into the intro. Very nineteen eighties, man. It definitely was. Um, Super eighties. Duran Duran. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Duran Duran doing the song. I mean, it's good song. Um, the obviously the black lights were hit during that time, so uh-huh. which was very, yep, the neon um, noticeable dancing and yeah, yeah. Um, but I thought they did it in a very clever way. Uh, obviously, no matter what they do, they could always do a little less, a little more. But the way they did the silhouettes, the way they did the black lights, um, with the different smoke and fire effects too, like um. There was a couple of good transitions between scenes, but there was like one or two scenes where I think the one girl was supposed to be dressed up as like what the way the, uh, I guess the paint is that they use for the black lights mm-hmm. uh, essentially was like, yeah. she made her look like a flame and then they had some uh, different stuff going on around her with like the smoke and all that. So they, they definitely were creative in this one. Um, Honestly, the best part for me though, was the, uh, the, the, the very beginning where the, the, you know, the, the, you know, darkness you're seeing the, woman's front and she's unzipping her shirt revealing the 007 and neon on her chest yeah and then it's got the titles above and below it so it all fits into one i thought thought that that was was kind of neat and that was kind of what i was mentioning as far as the transitions like how they transition Mm -hmm. in between like that where it's all it is a 007 tattoo but then you know they fade the uh the title graphics in over top and underneath to kind of blend in so it's all one sentence and there's a couple other times where they shift between one scene to the next during the uh the intro, they, they did a very good job with it. Oh, yeah, it works um, incredibly well. And I've got to say, music, before we move on, the Duran Duran song, you know, A View to a Kill is perfect. And mm-hmm. it's it's now in my top five Bond intro songs. Like, I thought it was awesome. That's off the well record. Done. We are not doing an actual Bond list, so don't <clears throat> worry. No, it's, no. It's off the record. <laughs> We've got enough lists. <laughs> um, from the intro, however, we cut to Bond arriving at head- headquarters. Doing his ceremonial flirt with Moneypenny. He's not there. Wait, what? 
when he, if I remember correctly, when he walks into the room, she's not in the room, and he turns to, like he goes to talk to her, and she's not at the desk, and he turns to the hat rack to put his hat up, and there's this big pink like bonnet hat or whatever hanging on the hat rack, and he's like, uh, okay, and then she oh, yeah, walks she was in the out room. of yeah. M's room wearing that like fancy pink dress, which we find out later in the next scene why she's all dressed up. But yeah. like she wasn't there when he first walks through because he he goes in and he does that whole like doors open and he's turned to like go talk yeah. to her at the desk and she's not there and he's like, huh? <laughs> okay. They still they still manage to get their flirt on though. Oh yeah, very briefly um, until M's like stop flirting with him, send him in. <laughs> <laughs> but once we go in there, we see Q is playing with a beautiful little robot dog. Um, uh, it's the early editions of the um, Range Rover or. Mars Rover, not, Land Rover, not the not the Range Rover, <laughs> definitely. It's not one of the rovers. Rover. I don't know. <laughs> um, All in one. Anyway, it was an early edition. Um, we proceed to have schematics of the microchip bond recovered, um, along with another microchip that they found, and they they basically align the images to see that the uh, microchip is the exact same as one produced by Zorin Industries, and the microchip is immune to magnetic radiation. And this was something that was stolen by the Russians during this, again, Cold War, nuclear war mm. things. You know, could I was be an sad issue. To, was sad to hear that uh, 003 didn't make it. <clears throat> indeed, indeed. We find out that the uh, the fellow agent that Bond recovered the microchip from was 003. Um, <clears throat> so once they discover that Zoran Industries matches the chip that Bond recovered from 003 and the Russians, Bond is sent to investigate Zoran Industries. At his horse estate, <laughs> his horse track, basically. He loves some horse racing. Yeah. So we, yeah, little... so from here, we cut to good old Q and Moneypenny at the horse track. They're proceeding to spy on Zorin, played by Christopher Walken, just to make that clear. And Mayday, his female compatriot that's always by his side. Um, but they don't really know much about her. Yeah, I didn't catch the the name of the other guy that was there talking to him. Because I knew M was there, if I'm not mistaken, Moneypenny... Q, and I don't think the prime minister was there, but I think no, was... it was it was this guy that's like into the horses and whatnot, and he's with them for this next scene, and that's it. Um, okay, um, maybe that's who I was thinking of. I was thinking M yeah. was there too, but no. I remember they talked to, to him about something because that's where he mentions about having a detective investigating on why Zorn's horse wins all the time or something. Yes. And like clockwork, Zorn's horse wins this race yet again. And Zor's horse at the at, you know at the finish line begins to act out, and Mayday you know pulls it away to kind of relax it. Mm-hmm. Bond then agrees to meet this detective that has been tracking um, tracking Zorin, and asking ask him some questions. From here we cut to good old Paris, Paris, France, where Bond meets with the detective at a dinner slash butterfly show. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, butterfly show makes sense. Um. While, while meeting with the detective, a person behind the scene throws a spiked butterfly at the detective's face, killing him instantly. Talk about fly fishing. <laughs> exactly. Butterfly uh, fishing. Bond turns and begins to chase, <laughs> chase, the, uh, chase the assailant all across Paris. They end up running up the Eiffel Tower, and at the very tippy-tippy top, the assailant parachutes off. Uh, Bond proceeds to ride the elevator down by hopping on the top of it and just riding it down. Commandeers a taxi and begins chasing the parachute to see where it lands. Some point during this chase scene, Bond's car gets hit, gets cut in half. <laughs> it's just completely destroyed. 
And he continues to drive it. <laughs> Which makes sense. Yeah, yes. <laughs> to a point. Well, I mean. No, but a, yes. <laughs> yes. Yes and no. Okay. So if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure it was a Volkswagen, which that should be a front engine, front wheel drive yes, vehicle. So, it, so it everything it. it needs is technically right there. Yeah. Sparks and all included because there's no wheels in the back just to keep it rolling. Yeah. But Absolutely the, would not cut in half that way, though. No, no, that doesn't make sense. But the fact that he still gets to where he needs to afterwards. Yeah. You know, with some special effects, some sparks and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So that seems about right. I mean, I could see it. Meanwhile, the parachute lands on a party boat. Uh, Bond hops on as well and proceeds to chase the assailant through the party. The assailant, however, is picked up at the last minute by a speedboat captained by, by Zoran himself. And it's revealed that the assailant was his female compatriot, Mayday. Mayday. Spoiler alert, she's the henchman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If it's not clear five minutes into the movie, we have our villain and henchman. We have our villain and henchman. Um, then we cut to Bond being picked up by M, and he briefs M on the situation. Um, Bond is then proceeded to be dropped off at the stables with uh, his driver, Godfrey, who's another agent That's involved, all, involved in all I missed his this. name, and I never wrote it down. I was like, I know he's got a name. Yep. Dropped off at Zorn's stables, the sa- stables of Zorn's winning horse. Uh, and is taken directly to an auction. During this time, Bond's driver, Godfrey, investigates the arrival of the horse and the barn. They bring the horse into the barn. Godfrey kind of peeks in, but the horse is nowhere to be found. Mm -hmm. Um, We cut back and forth between Bond and Godfrey throughout these next couple scenes, but Bond is taken to a mansion where he meets Jenny Flex. Um, Just another female character thrown in here we see one or two other times but she really carries no weight in the whole plot yeah so we'll move the, on. the way she was introduced i thought she was going to yeah but <laughs> she was not um bond and godfrey go up to the room and <clears throat> and proceed to you know very creatively continue to talk bonds you know his boss berating him for poor performance and whatnot Meanwhile, they're searching through the room to find, you know, bugs and whatnot. And sure enough, they find that their room's been bugged. And they set up a tape recording to fool said bug. Spycraft 101. I love it. Indeed. Loved this scene because I thought it was really... um, Not only was it clever, obviously, for a spy, but it was a good way to throw in that spycraft without going mm -hmm. too crazy. They didn't need any special gadgets. They just needed a tape recorder. I mean, obviously, they looked for bugs which is again a common spy uh spy gadget so that doesn't count but the commentary between the two of them during this was like great because it was mm-hmm. kind of like they knew what they were doing and bond was able to play it off as being not really a jerk to godfrey but it was kind of like yeah. you know hey you're you're uh, you're my servant boss. yeah i'm gonna give you a hard time yeah. just to kind of set that image for everyone else listening and then they t- put the tape recorder and they had already planned it out, so the tape recorder was the exact same as what they were saying. So, like, it was a good kind of transition, and then they could get into, like, all right, the normal let's be serious now. Yeah. yeah. So I, Which, I thought that was really clever between them. Like, they, they were able to play their characters really well as mm-hmm. far as spy characters. Which they do. They go out to the balcony and have a conversation about what's going on and watch Zorin meet with Tanya Roberts' character, Miss Sutton, who arrived via helicopter. Then we cut to the dinner. There's a there's a big event, a big dinner going on. Horse people love their dinners and love their their mm-hmm. party acts of grandeur. Yeah. Um, at the dinner, Bonna tips to follow Zoran around and is shut down hard by. Oh <laughs> yeah. Listen, you ain't getting in this room, homie. So instead, he uses his super secret spy glasses to spy through the room instead, where he sees 
um, Zorin handing a check to Tanya to 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 Miss Sutton. These were kind of cool glasses, but then I started thinking to myself because was was the party daytime or nighttime? I was thinking it was, it was, it was, it was okay. I was yeah, thinking it was, it was daytime. daytime. So in my head, I'm like, hmm, they're really just really advanced polarized glasses that well, take the reflection off the window. Even if it was, yes, exactly. But even <laughs> if it, even if it was at nighttime, this is the '80s, and I'm sure Bond also wears his sunglasses at night so he can see. <laughs> Took you a second, but you got it. I you thought that's where there. you were going. You, and you got pause. there. I'm like, maybe right he's on. not. And then you went there. I'm like, okay, no, he, that's his way. He's going. <laughs> but very um, well done, sir. Very well done. After the use of the super spy glasses, um, <clears throat> they leave and Bond proceeds to sneak into the room and make a copy of the last check Zorin wrote to Miss Sutton. Uh, Bond then meets up with the horse doc, who wears a bitchin' monocle. <laughs> yeah, uh, he does. And takes pictures of him with his awesome secret, secret, super secret decoder picture ring. I'm starting to realize there's more gadgets in this movie than I remember. Indeed, they were just subtly thrown in there. Exactly. Um, Zorin walks up and introduces himself to Mr. Bond. Classic walking. Oh my Mm -hmm. God. I love this. Any scene this man's in, in any movie, it's magic. Um, But anyway, uh, Bond then, you know, they excuse themselves and Bond goes to meet with Miss Sutton. Yeah, and I liked the the commentary. We had talked about the fly fishing. Um, Bond made a little remark about that when he started talking about being sportsman, like in this and that. And then as soon as Bond's like, oh, you, you do other sports, like, say, fly fishing? Walken's yeah. just like, excuse me, I got to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Mayday is sent by um, by Zorin to interrupt him, Bond and, and Miss Sutton's conversation. And she's taken away to, to leave via helicopter. Um, from here, we cut to good old Godfrey investigating the stables and the disappearing, disappearing horse yet again. Bond joins up with him, and they find a super-secret elevator to a lab where the horse is being kept. I do like Bond's intro to that scene. Oh, where it, was, it was well him. done. Yeah, because yeah. like as Godfrey was going in, and he was kind of looking around investigating, they started playing that music like oh one of the villains spots him they're gonna come out and knock him out and you see like the arm come in like they start coming off screen into the shot and they grab him like ah and bond's like what's up (laughs) (laughs) what's going on on? cool you looking for this button right here in front of you (laughs) (laughs) Um, Uh, i really enjoyed that scene so they investigate the horse lab where his winning horse is being kept and they notice that the horse has had surgery and that the and discover that microchips are being used to remotely inject the horse with steroids slash adrenaline. I can't remember what it actually was, causing it to run Some faster way. in the final straight, which yeah, explains why his horses always win. They also discover a massive supply of microchips that Zorin seems to be hoarding um, and shipping off to wherever in these this awesome automatic shipping crate container thing. But at this point, as you mentioned earlier, henchmen do really spot Bond and Godfrey mm-hmm. during this time. And the fight scene ensues where Bond proceeds to throw them on the conveyor belt and they get packed up into little boxes. And shipped down the assembly line. And shipped down the assembly line. <clears throat> we cut back to Mayday and Zorin training. Training. Mayday is wearing an incredibly revealing singlet, leaving nothing to the imagination. <laughs> <laughs> Super revealing. Um, uh, And we cut back to the shipping line where where the henchmen are discovered boxed up by somebody farther down the line. 
And we cut back again, a lot of back and forth. Don't know why they showed the scene of them being discovered, but I guess that makes sense for triggering the alarms. But yeah. Anyway, we cut back to Mayday training with her and Zoran again, and they share a very aggressive rolling on the ground kiss. Like, mm -hmm. very aggressive. Like, it was one of those, you know, she wants it, she doesn't want it. Are they fighting? Do they like each other? Do they hate each other? It's, it was it was very... <laughs> Confusing. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't quite sure what to make of it. But anyway, um, they share a kiss, and they seem both to in, both really into it by it's all said and done. Uh, Bond attempts to try and make it back to his room before, before being discovered missing. But at this point... It's already been alerted that someone was in, you know, the facility. And Zorin and Mayday seem to believe that it's Mr. Bond. So they go to Bond's room and Bond's not in there. As they're leaving, they're making plans to, to do whatever. To try and May track him down. Exactly. Mayday goes into her room and there's Bond, naked under the blankets. Mm-hmm. And he proceeds to to seduce her, but she's willing because they she knows who he is. So well, they suspect him. They at this suspect point. him at this point because so she, I forget what his cover was, but they kept referring to him by his cover, and yeah, it was that he was suspicious. Was James Saint something or other, um, Smiley's or something. I don't Smith, remember. Smith, Smith, yeah, something odd. Anyway, him and Mayday proceed to have epic level sexy time, even though she knows he was the one from the Eiffel Tower. Mm -hmm. um, and we cut to Zorin meeting with the doctor in the lab, making sure that everything is ready. And everything was good and nothing was missing or tampered yes, with. Yep. Everything's prepared. Then Zorin proceeds to meet with Bond and stealthily identifies him through taking, you know, mm -hmm. having him look left, look right, to take profile pics, running it through his computer and identifies him as James Bond, armed, dangerous, with a license to kill. <clears throat> but from here, Bond sends Godfrey out to get a message to M. Um... Zorn and Doc proceed to prepare their final plans and put the microchip control into the jockey's whip. Godfrey, while he's trying to leave the estate, he you know throws dirty water on the car and says he has to go get it watched. He is being followed. Well, he's met at the gates by Mayday, first yep. and foremost, who is wise to his shenanigans, but lets him go um, or disappears when he looks, you know, looks away. And we see Godfrey go into the gas station, and he's being followed by Miss Flex, who pulls into the gas station behind him. Godfrey goes into the uh, the car wash, and as he's in the car wash, we see a figure come up in the back seat from behind him mm -hmm. and proceed to take him out from the back seat. An another really good scene. I liked how this was played out. Uh, not that I, I was happy that Godfrey left because I kind of liked him as a sidekick character. He's probably so far been one of my few favorite sidekick characters, just the mm -hmm. way him and Bond kind of had their chemistry throughout this part um, or up until then. But what I liked is the fact that, yes, he was being trailed into this gas station. His whole goal was to get to that phone, call M, and he was using going to the car wash as an excuse to leave the premises. Yeah. Followed, mm -hmm. pulls into the car wash. And as he's going into that car wash and then the uh, Flex and the other lady who was with her are at the gas station kind of filling up their car and just kind of like pretending to keep an eye on them, but not really. Um, what you see is as the brushes are coming down, the foam starting to get on the very front of the car, straight ahead through the car wash on the outside of the car wash is the phone booth. Yeah. It's right there in front of him. He's just got to get through this car wash, and it's like right there. The music starts building tension because he's like he's so close. And then it, it cuts to, you know, 
the other side of the car wash where you see the car pulling in and you just see the shadowy figure kind of sit up from the back seat, grab him, and then it cuts. So close yet so very far away. Oh, very good. But it built that tension <laughs> where it's like it did. It was. It a didn't good even scene. have to show it for you to know. Yeah, yeah you know how you making, know what happened. He's not making it happen. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we cut back to Bon and Zorin, who invited him to do some horse training. They proceed to have a challenge. You know, if you beat me, something, something, some bet. I don't know. Um, so a horse a horse race commences with several other henchmen following behind. Bon catches up to Zorin. Despite Zoran using cheating and every jump that they make or, <laughs> yeah, or things that they do, to make him fail. Yep, he he extends the jump or makes it longer. Bond think... manages to catch up to him, and Zoran activates his whip, which triggers not his own horse but Bond's horse to go wildly out of control, running off the road and into the um, woods. Yeah. And into the woods. So Bond's horse is running out of control, going through the woods, comes comes out onto the road on the other side. Where Bond sees him and Godfrey's car driving along the driving along the road, so he proceeds to lead the horse right up next to it and proceeds to jump to his car, where he discovers once he's holding onto the side of his car that not only is Godfrey dead, but the car is being driven by Mayday. Mm-hmm. Promptly turns around and pulls a gun off him. Gun on him. Car comes to a stop and Bond is captured and thrown into the back of his own vehicle and taken to the lake by Mayday and Zorin, where they get out and they push the car in. Bond wakes up in the back seat, completely underwater, and escapes escapes the car and maintains... Stay, I like this scene, even though it, it would never mm. work in real life. Oh, yeah. Um, escapes and looks up in the water and sees that, that Mayday and Zorin are still up at the surface and proceeds to stay underwater using air from the tires of the car um, so that he can breathe. Would never work in real life, but eh. neat, neat concept. Probably not as well as they make it look. No, yeah, they tested that shit on MythBusters, man. It's busted. Really? <laughs> yeah, uh. they did <laughs> on their James Bond special. Um, but he waits for Zorin to Mayday, Zorin and Mayday to leave before resurfacing. Zorin, however, back at the track, meets with Russian M. I love how his name's still Russian M. He's got an actual name, but we all call him Russian M. (laughs) I just can't Um, think of his name, so Russian M it is, and that's what sticks. Where it's revealed that Zorin is former KGB. Mm -hmm. And the Russian M says, you know, you don't just leave the KGB, you know. He's like, I do what I Yeah, so we find out that the Russians are gunning for Zorin as well. Um. Then we see Zorin meet with a, a board of trustees and pitches the development of a cartel to control the production, the entire production of all microchips in the world, revealing his grand master plan of destroying Silicon Valley, the current leader in microchip development in California, leaving him and the cartel as the sole producers. One board member disagrees with him and is, and is allowed to leave and is escorted out by May Day and immediately thrown from the blimp that they're having the meeting on. <laughs> yes, which I thought was kind of a clever buildup again um, as far as the story goes because you don't know this meeting is on a blimp until he's you know escorted down the steps and halfway down the steps she hits two buttons and the steps turn into a slide and at the bottom is opened up and he slides down through a trap door 
then it cuts to him falling from a blimp. So it's like yeah. you have no clue what's going on until you get to that scene. You're like, oh, that sucks. We mentioned this briefly in pre-recording, but this scene especially, I mean, the, the, the whole plan that Zoran had is very reminiscent of, of, of Goldfinger's plan. Yes, yes. However, he's got a little bit different approach yeah. than Goldfinger did. Yes, very much so. But this scene as well is, is, is almost one for one from the scene where Goldfinger's meeting with the, mobs, the mob bosses. Mm-hmm. Yep. And one of them doesn't want to be a part of the plan and leaves and odd job takes, takes him out. Yeah. So it's it's very similar, very similar um, parallels there. Um, so once once the uh, the the disagreeing board member is thrown from the plane, we see them arrive at San Francisco's Golden Gate Bridge. Mm-hmm. From here, we see Bond arrive and meeting with CIA 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 agent who identifies Zoran's contacts from the pictures that he took um, from Paris. Uh, Bond sneaks, proceeds to sneak into a, to a Zorin oil pumping station via scuba, mm-hmm. where he realizes there's another team there spying, another group of two. He kind of avoids them, sneaks into a, uh, an intake pipe. While in the intake pipe, it is cut on to conduct a test while Bond's still inside. Bond's getting sucked into the, sucked into the fans and at the last second, he removes his scuba take and jams the fans, allowing him to escape. Of course, this triggers all sorts of all sorts of alarms, and they discover Bond's scuba take and capture one of the members of the other team that was there, and throw him into the intake fan. And I really like this scene because you see him tossed into the intake fan. You see it get cut on. You see they cut briefly to him in the tank, you know, in the in the tube. Trying to trying to swim away, and then all it cuts to is like the dials, the, the, the dials, the fan power, and then uh-huh. you see the fan power go up, go up, and you can see it kind of stutter for a minute, jump down, was, go up, jump down, go up, which was him being diced up in the blades. Yeah. And I thought and that then was it really like goes back to being steady up. So the guy's like, hmm, and then it like shows like the red of everything. Yeah, I thought that was a really nice way of like violence without showing violence. Like there's yeah. There's a lot of, and like, we'll get into it towards the end, but there's a lot of like violent shit in this movie. I mean, for the most part, like the James Bond movies up till now, I mean, they're about a spy, you know, people die in all of these movies, but I think this is honestly probably the most overtly violent one we've seen, you know? I can kind of see that in some of the scenes. Yeah, I mean, Zorin's pretty psychotic and and the way they film some of the violence is, is rather unique. Mm-hmm. Um, Which I think was specific for that character, though. Yeah, had it been yeah. a different character, um, it would have been, a, I think, a different outcome. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, so after throwing that other member into the intake fan, um, the other member manages to escape, and we see them arriving at shore. You know, undressing, and we reveal that it's a a, a woman. Bond comes out and meets her, and it is Pola Ivanova. They seem to have a past, a Russian um, spy that Bond seems to know. And I'll mm-hmm. get some some trivia on that in trivia time. Um, so they know each other. They're both working to, to, to take out Zorin, but they're working for opposite sides. So we cut from here. Once they escape in the car, Bond... Which is being po- followed. Which is, in fact, being followed. You are correct. We cut to Bond and Pola 
in her room or whatever, they get their they get their hot tub on. They get their hot tub on hard. Mm-hmm. You know, rattle, chilling in the hot tub. And what does all hot tubbing lead to, ladies and gentlemen? That's right, sexy time. Sexy time. <laughs> so of course, Bond has sexy time with Pola. Um, Bond or Pola proceeds to get up and takes the tape that was recovered that that they had recorded um, on the oil rig and sneaks. Yep, and sneaks out meeting with Russian M in the car. He was in the car that follows. Which I like this scene too because I know Bond was the one that like recorded some audio right before he's going into the pipe and all of Zorin talking about this and that, just some key notes about what his plan was going to be and making sure everything was prepared for it before the whole pipe scene and and all that. But like during the hot tub scene, you see Bond messing with the music and changing to put some other music on for him. Swaps the tapes. I loved it when she grabs the tape and runs Gets into the car with Russian and they're driving around. They're like, oh, yeah, we got him. And Bond just kind of like peeks out from the other room when he comes out. And he's like, hmm. And then goes to them like putting the tape in. And it's the music from. <laughs> it's the sexy time music. Yeah. yeah. And they just stop and look at each other, look down at the tape. And then he comes back to Bond just playing the tape and listening to everything he listening recorded. Listening to all the information. Writing some notes down. <laughs> like, yes. It was a very Thank good you, scene. I, 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 too, really enjoyed that scene. Bond. Then we cut straight to Bond meeting with Mr. Howell, a California official, and discovers that Miss Sutton seems to work for Mr. Howell. Mm-hmm. Um, Bond is disguising himself as a um, a reporter or something, and they're talking about yeah, you know, the fault lines and whatnot, and in California, and whether or not it's dangerous to to pump water into fault lines because that was one of the things on the tape that, you know, that's part of Zoran's plan is to flood the fault lines with, with water. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, once it is discovered that Miss Sutton works there, Bond follows her, follows her all the way to her home. And once she gets out and we see her go to the, you know, go towards the house. I like the way this was shot too. It kind of pulls back and we see there's someone with a gun waiting in the tree lines. Mm-hmm. Bond sneaks in and scares the hell out of a poor cat. <laughs> yeah, I remember that scene because uh, it actually caught my other half who was like in the other room. She's like, what was that? I was like, oh, just a cat randomly getting scared and running Man, by. I was like, Bond it reminded me of the cat cats. from the early Bond movies. I'm like, oh, the cat came back. But after scaring the cat, Bond sneaks up, sneaks up, and you know, sneaks into the room, hears the shower going on, walks into the bathroom, and a surprise with Miss Sutton, who's not mm. in the shower, but behind Bond with a shotgun. Yeah. Yep. Starts asking questions and whatnot. And then and then we hear you know people breaking into the house. So Bond takes her shotgun and defends her home, her and her home from the intruders. Um, after, you know, during the fight, it's revealed that her shotgun is a is a. Um, um, uses salt shells so it's not a you know, oh yeah it's a scary uh, thing it didn't actually do any damage yeah because he he wants he keeps shooting and everyone keeps missing he keeps hitting other stuff which is showing yeah. damage and he finally hits one of the guys and it's like barely anything and he's like what do you have in this thing and she's like rock salt and i immediately yeah. thought of like supernatural <laughs> i was just like is she like a ghost hunter or yeah something? i'm not gonna lie so I'm like what is she doing um sadly i don't have any trivia about why they chose to do it that way but either um, way um, once the home's being defended, you know, 
Sutton and Bond have a conversation that she was paid hush money after her father's company was bought out by Zorin. Um, he was giving her a check that she had yet to cash. <clears throat> she's been barely getting by, barely paying for, for the home that she's in, which is her father's home. And right here, she rips up the check, saying you know, she mm-hmm. doesn't need the money. And it also kind of shows, because when Bond first walks through the house, there's like almost nothing in this house. It's almost like yeah. someone just moved in, like as he's going through the rooms. And you could tell, like, there was odd paint faded differences where there used to be a rug on the steps and it wasn't or mm-hmm. outlines of furniture that wasn't yeah, there. Yeah, she sold like all of her furniture and everything yeah. to, 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 to get by. But she's keeping the house. The house is the most important thing to her. Mm-hmm. Um, after the conversation and she rips up the check, um, you know, we cut to her going to bed, Bond saying that he'll, you know, he'll watch out. He goes up to the room and we see her, you know, or he he goes to re recut on the power, which is right outside of her bedroom window. Yeah. And we think we're getting epic sexy time. And this was a very sweet moment where Bond comes in through mm-hmm. the window after cutting on the lights, sees her laying there in bed asleep and covers, you know, pulls the covers up over her and reflect respectfully stays on guard in a chair in the room. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was a kind of clever scene too. Mm-hmm. And the next morning they, you know, they wake up, they have breakfast and they decide to go visit Mr. Howell again about the seawater being pumped um, <clears throat> pumped into the fault lines. And during this meeting, Sutton goes in to talk to her since they work together, and she's just fired. Mr. Howell's just not mm-hmm. having any of this shenanigans. Bond proceeds to meet with his CIA, CIA contact and make a plan of action at Sutton's home. The CIA contact, after they, they, they set up everything they want to do, leaves and is taken out by Mayday. From yep. the classic backseat chokehold maneuver that she Again. used with Godfrey. It's like her go-to, man. <clears throat> it's her go-to, man. Hey, if, it, if it works and it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? I, I will say timing was really done well because this happens while, you know, like Bond goes back into the house to get uh, Sutton. And when they both come back out... All you see is hit, the CIA agent's truck kind of already half turned around in the yard and taken off, so Bond and them couldn't see that Mayday was driving it. Yep. Like, that is good timing, Mayday. I mean, like, a second longer, and you'll, your been cover would have been blown. Yep. <laughs> um, but from here, Sutton, Sutton and Bond go back to Town Hall and use her pass, which has, is still active, um, to investigate, but is met by Zoran and Mayday. Bond and Sutton are taken to Mr. Howell, um, who calls the police, and then Zoran, how, blah, excuse me, can't speak, taken to Mr. Howell, who calls the police, Zoran then kills Howell after a beautiful bad guy monologue. Yes, very clever. I mean, literally laying out everything that he was going to do, but in such a dark and devious way yeah and pretty much making it seem like he was wheels were turning and he was kind of coming up with it on the spot instead of it being planned ahead it's like i think i'm gonna do this and then i'm gonna do this and i'm uh yeah yeah you and i are gonna make it yeah you're not getting out of here um bond and Sutton are taken to an elevator where they're trapped in the elevator as zoran lights the building on fire uh bond escapes the elevator using you know through the roof and they slowly work their way up to the next floor where he hops out, leaving Sutton down, farther down the elevator. She's screaming the whole time for Bond to help, 
he throws down a fire hose that he pulled from you know one of the wall things to rescue her. Mm. Outside, you know, the fire department, police, everyone's arrived. Citizens look on as Bond and Sutton work their way down the fire la- fire ladder. This this part just doesn't make sense to me. But the fact that Bond escapes on the roof just happens to be a ladder. Cool. By the time Bond gets down the ladder to the firemen, where they're all like, "Oh, cool," and he almost slips and falls, but the guy on him is cool. <laughs> But then he gets to the bottom of the ladder. At the same time, the police officer just happens to be coming out of the building with the dead body and Bond's gun in evidence. You guys put out the fire that quickly and found everything and got everything good to go and came back down by the time Bond gets to the bottom of the fire truck? Forget everything you know, Jordan. Forget everything you know. I guess. I guess things are just a little different there. I don't know. But I Logic was so doesn't confused. work the same way in the Bond universe, good sir. During that time, though, the police also attempt to arrest Bond mm-hmm. for this because he admitted that that was his gun and that was the gun that they, you know, assumed was being, you know, that that, that shot Mr. Howell. Oh no, they had it in evidence. They Indeed. were quick. The place quick, is burning down, but they processed the crime scene and put um, the gun into evidence. They know somehow. <laughs> But Bond proceeds to escape the police's attempt to arrest him using a fire truck, throwing water at him to, to, to throw him off. Which was kind of funny. Gets in the fire truck and proceeds to escape. Then we have a chase between you know police cars chasing down this fire truck throughout the city, going back and forth. At some point, Bond gives Sutton the wheel and decides to go out on the back to the ladder. I don't for know why this reason. decision was made, but it made for a really cool action scene. Yes. Um, Considering that the ladder was not locked properly before indeed. the truck was taken away, which That's was right. mentioned by, like, I think two other firefighters as the truck takes off. Indeed. Um, so Bond climbs out. He's hanging onto the ladder, and the ladder disconnects and begins to swing Bond back and forth throughout the city mm-hmm. limits, taking out cars, taking out this, that, and the other thing. Ladies and gentlemen, there was one car in particular that was parked along the side of the road. That is of utmost importance. It was a nice uh, covered up. Uh, it was like a pickup truck with like a bed <coughs> yeah, cap and yeah. all that stuff. It was pickup a nice, truck with nice a bed clothes. cap. Um, it, looked, it, was, yeah. it looked like it was a decent, decent vehicle. Decent vehicle. So whoever owned that vehicle was doing relatively well for themselves. Yeah. You know, a, work, a working yeah. man, um, a, a real man's man. You know, somebody that 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 you know goes in, puts in his nine to five. You know, doing hard labor, works hard for his money. And works even harder for for his for his lady. Ladies and gentlemen, this truck belonged to none other than Frank Joseph P. Hinchman the third. Ladies and gentlemen, <clears throat> Frank decided after his last encounter with Mr. Bond, you know, he had he had focused so much time on tracking down this man and, and he, he almost had him dead to rights. And in all regards, he should have. In had last, Bond not had that extra money in his pocket when yeah. he got stabbed. He had him dead to rights. So Frank after being had thrown him. off the tuk-tuk in India, Frank took a hard look at his life and realized, you know what? I've lost my wife, my kids. My entire life has been dedicated towards vengeance upon this man. You know, why? Why? All I get is pain and suffering out of this. So what did Frank do? Well, ladies and gentlemen, Frank is in India. You know, so Frank took some time, practiced with some at some local monasteries, learned his inner peace, found his inner Frank. 
found his center again and decided the most important thing in his life is family. So he goes back home to rekindle his lost romance with his wife and reintroduce himself to his, estra- his estranged children who are in their 40s now, if my math is correct. <laughs> <laughs> Based on the time of Bond get nah. Bond movies, but who knows? <laughs> um, reintroduced himself to his wife and his estranged children. And you know what? He's successful. He gets back home and he's like, honey, I know that, that we've had hard times and I've been, you know, I've been fighting for these horrible, horrible people and I've let vengeance consume me for all of these days, but I'm done with that. I found my new, my new Frank. His Frank's wife, Sarah, is so happy to hear this, that she welcomes him back into her life with open arms. You know, it was a little rocky for a while, but she finally saw that Frank was true and honest and that he was he was a new man. He was the man that she fell in love with, you know. So they decide to take a vacation. You know, they've 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 never been to America, not together, at least. Frank's been there once or twice on his henchman duties. But Frank remembers the beautiful land of, of California, USA, and decides to take his wife on a vacation there. Well, like all rekindled romances, you know, experimenting with your sex life is important at the early stages. And even though Frank and his wife, you know, have known each other for decades, they're rekindling their romance. So they decide in Frank's truck to make some sexy time. That's right. Some parked on the side of the road, public but not really public, sexy time. Where someone, if they walked by your car, they'd know it's rocking. Don't come a knocking. But you know, you're still you're still hidden. There's still that mystery, that little that little mischievous nature, if you will. Mm-hmm. So Frank the and adventure. his Mrs. Sarah are making up beautifully when all of a sudden they hear the sound of a fire truck coming down the road. They think someone's having a bad day, but that's okay because we're together and we're loving life. But all of a sudden, the roof of Frank's truck is ripped (laughs) off and him and his wife are left there revealed in the bed of the truck having had sexy time, embarrassed, nude, in the middle of the street. Frank proceeds to turn and look, and who does he see swinging from the arm of that fire truck? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, none other than James fucking Bond. <laughs> the man that he swore he was done with his vengeance and, and, and rekindled his romance with his wife, embarrassed him in public on his vacation, on his, his second honeymoon, if you will. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's the story of Frank Joseph P. Hinchman III and his wife, Sarah Elaine Hinchman. <laughs> Hinchman. So, her, now that, now her that main, I know that Her maiden line. name is Sarah Elaine Bodyguard. Bodyguard. So, now that I know that she's brought back into Frank's life and the kids are coming back... I'm curious because the thought just crossed my mind. What happens with Frank's kids in the future? I feel like they are now 
bodyguard, henchman, whatever. Listen, listen. Go off. No, 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 no. I feel like they will be the main bad guys in other movies, in other franchises as time oh, I'm goes sure. on. Like, I'm I feel sure. like it's, Frank's it's, kids will be someone we have to keep an eye on in other it's franchises. It's much like, you know, if your last name's Henchman, you're destined to be a Henchman. You know. Is this like the Smith blacksmith story? Exactly. Exactly. Or if your name's Cinnamon, you're destined to be a stripper. I'm just saying, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking more of like the okay, you're, the kids grew up with Frank being in the the henchman bad guy world, and then he <laughs> leaves, and then they don't have a father. Then he tries to come back, still you know reeling from the bad guy world, still being tormented by Bond. That kind of plays with the kids' emotions, whether oh, they're absolutely. five or absolutely. forty, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm curious whether to see they're five they're... or forty. <laughs> I'm curious to see what shapes them to become the henchmen juniors and um, I'm sure of the, the world um, and I'm what other bad guy sure, they get into. I'm a hundred percent sure that Frank, Sarah and his six children. I thought he had three. Where did the other three come from? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I forgot it was three. His three don't children, tell me it was that night in the truck. His, his three children, Travis, Joseph, and Frankie. I don't know if you ever gave them names, but I'll have to go back and verify that that is the correct name. I've lost so much track of Frank's story. <laughs> but anyway, that's the story of Frank Joseph P. Hinchman III for this episode of A View to a Kill. Um, <laughs> All right, so post-Frank, we've got Bond, you know, riding this fire truck down the way. He manages to wrangle the ladder back in control and hops in the the back control seat of of the fire truck. Police give orders to raise the bridge. They're coming to a bridge. Bond and Sutton aren't stopping. They jump it in the fire truck. They make it over, but the bridge is going up, and the police cars don't have time. Mm Mm-hmm. So they slam into the bridge. One of them goes all the way up to the tippy tippy top and falls right back down after a moment that took a little bit longer than I would have liked, but it was still kind of fun to see. This whole car chase up to that was pointless to me. Other than the Frank story. That was like the only entertaining part of this whole fire truck chasing. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was the only part that I cared about was, was him knocking the roof off and two people making sexy time. I was like, Hey, (laughs) Yeah. Somebody other than Bond gets some in this movie, right on. Um, yeah, clever. And of all people, Frank, way <laughs> to go. Indeed. Um, but Frank's story aside, it reminded me of previous Bond movies where, like in Vegas, when he's like doing the chase scene around yeah, Vegas yeah. for no reason, and then the sheriff's just like, oh, we got him. I think we got him. You mean that guy he just drove by? Pointless. <laughs> or... Um, the redneck uh, sheriff that was chasing him through was Louisiana. J.W. Pepper. That one, Pepper. And yeah. it was it was the bayous of Louisiana. Okay. That whole thing where it was like the sheriff was coming after him, we're going to get you. Uh, granted, it was not on any of the same scales that those movies were in, but I started to feel this chasing kind of like creeping into those. Yeah. Because what happens, the you know, police like, oh, I'm going to get you. It's like he's the big bag, you know, detective police captain whoever he was it's going after him he's like we're gonna get him we raised the bridge he's like oh he's ours now and then the fire truck just happens to jump a giant bridge yeah don't know why but the 
captain is sitting there while, like you said, the car comes back down the bridge, which is already up, destroyed, and the captain's like walking up to him and is like, man, you're going to have to pay for that car. It's going to be coming out of your paychecks and this and that, and blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, the bridge is coming back down, and the back half of this swinging thing, which I don't know why it would be there, is just completely destroying the captain's car. And it's like, man... And I'm just flashing back to Pepper and then the sheriffs in Vegas. And I'm like, why? Why is this scene here? Yeah. So it's one of the bad scenes, in my opinion. However, Agreed. I get it why it's in the movie. It also didn't go on nearly as long. You know? No, no. So, I mean, it was definitely improved. Because you can tell, yeah. like, it was cut down and lowered the bar. So it's kind of like, instead of 10, they put it on, like, a half a one. Yeah, which so I was like, I'm fine with that. I'm okay with that. I'll like, take it. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll get past <clears throat> this. I'll, I'll be okay. <laughs> But yeah, that so, was the only thing with that scene. From here, Bond arrives in the fire truck at the mining site and proceeds to steal a truck going the opposite direction, carrying explosives. They that's what they use to proceed to sneak into the facility. Him and him and Miss Sutton. Miss um, Sutton mm-hmm. changes into miners' clothes and they catch a ride on mine cart on a mine cart. Yet she was still Except wearing heels. If you notice yes. that. Yes, because it was uh-huh. it was pointed out by multiple people at different times. Yes. They all looked down at her feet. Uh, but I do like how willing she was to be the spy with Bond. Like, just okay. What are we doing? We're stealing. Cool. Shit? Yeah, okay, cool. We're here. What are we doing? Right on. All right. We're gonna we're gonna hide in this car. Let's do it. What like, else she is was, she gonna do? <laughs> yeah, she's she was just like, very willing during this scene. I'm like, all right. um, but as they're sneaking in in the mine cart, she, he sees Zorin, Zorin and Mayday. Bond and Bond and Sutton proceed to sneak in and investigate Zorin's office. While Zorin is activating the bomb with a shitload of explosives, which is going to flood the San Andreas Fault, creating an earthquake to take out Silicon Valley. During this time, another cartel member sets a detonator, sets a detonator in the mine cart full of explosives farther down because they have to explode on two sides to cause this, cause, cause this to happen. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> Mayday and friends realize that Bond and uh, Sutton are in the office space. Zorin is there taking pot shots at him as well. But Mayday, Mayday and friends, or Zorin's angels, as I like to call them, yeah, <laughs> uh, proceed to chase down Bond and Sutton throughout the tunnels. Sutton nearly falls into a gigantic sinkhole in the middle of this mine shaft, but Bond pulls her out. Um, Mayday and, 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 and Zorin, the rest of Zorin's angels split, split ways and Mayday goes the correct direction, chasing Bond and Sutton. Um, during this time, we cut back to Zorin, who has met back up with his other henchman who set the detonator. And he proceeds to trigger the explosive with the miners and Mayday still in the mine, which even the henchman is like, yo, we're going to evacuate people. And Zorin's like, no witnesses, son. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and that's the thing, because I don't think it was the, it wasn't Zorn's next in command henchman, uh, besides Mayday, it was like one of the other, like, it was one of the head, cartel members, it was like one of the head workers yes. in the mine, it was like, yeah. hey, you know, our people, everyone is everywhere, it's like, yeah, and, because the other henchman's like, I got your guns locked tonight right here, do you want some extra clips? <laughs> and so yep. he's like, I'll help kill him with you. Cool. But um, um, the one who set the explosive, like he set the explosive in the tunnels 
which yeah. I think opened up enough of the water to pretty much flood the tunnels. I think yes. was the point of that explosive yeah. to help get you know take out all the men because the main explosive that was down even farther into the mine from like the central location that was down deeper filled with explosives in that room. Mm-hmm. That was the one I think that was supposed to meant to completely cause the earthquake. Cause the earthquake because yeah. the other ones what drained the the dam essentially. Yes. Because yes. that was one of the things I remember the guy in the water on his boat and then it cuts back and there's no water there's left. There's no water there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um but Zorin triggers the explosives with the miners and Mayday still in the mine and begins shooting any of the remaining miners trying to escape in a scene that is magical for bad guys. Like you just have this psychopath just standing above a ravine just laying waste to people that have been working hard for him. Um, Mayday catches up to Bond and Sutton just as the mine collapses. Sutton continues to climb up the mine shaft as Bond and Mayday are swept away in the waters. Um, Zorin finishes killing the miners and escapes. Bond and Mayday resurface and she is pissed. Oh yeah. About being betrayed by Zorin, saying he told me he loved me, you know, all this and all this and that. Um, Zorin proceeds to go into a building that transforms into a blimp. They love Another cool bad here. guy uh, gadget. <laughs> Absolutely. Transforms into a blit and floats, floats off into the air. Bond and Mayday slowly work their way out of the mine. Meanwhile, Zoran is observing his handiwork from the blimp above Silicon Valley. Um, they see, you know, Mayday leads Bond to the, uh, to the final explosive meant to you know, cause the earthquake and lowers Bond down into the area to bring it up. Side note, Mayday is hella strong. Yes. And they made a point of this. Bond's like, listen, you know, this is going to be heavy. You know, you go down or we'll find some other way. And Mayday's like, yo, I got this. Mm -hmm. I got this. It's cool. I got this. Mayday's super, super strong. But we see there are seconds left before the the bomb explodes. Bond and Mayday send the bomb out in a mine cart, but the brake stops it at the last at the last second. They realize that unless somebody's holding holding the brake up, they're not going to get this out of the mine before it explodes. So Mayday makes the decision to sacrifice herself to make sure the bomb blows up outside the mine. Yep. And we cut to <clears throat> Zorin watching his handiwork as he sees the minecart come out of the mine with the bomb on it and registers that it's Mayday right before the bomb explodes causing no damage to happen, no earthquake to occur. I will say that whole scene with her um, showing off her strength reminded me of Jaws a lot. The fact that not only did she get to that point and they're like, well, we got to find another way down there. She's like, get in the cart. I'll lower you down. And Bond's like, "Uh, okay, well, we're going down. Mm -hmm. Lowers Bond in this cart, which is like a heavy cart. It's not like a, a light cart. All the way to the down into this tunnel or into this hole Bond hooks it to the bomb, which probably also weighs more. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, okay, bring it back up, and I'll stay down here. And she's like, get on. He's like, but it's too heavy. And she's like, no, get on. And then she, I got you, <laughs> ranks it all the way back up, and then just almost like picks up like with ease and drop. Well, uh, technically, they just, just drops it on the cart. Like all of that. I'm like, that's like jaws level henchman right there i was like yeah, that no explains joke. why she is you know a good henchman in this movie strong like bull yes yes very very well um, so credits to her in this scene yes after sacrificing herself sutton um surfaces from the ridge line 
and spots Bond and proceeds to run down towards him. But as she's running, Zoran's blimp is in hot pursuit. And at the last second, they go down to the ground and kidnap her, grab her straight, you know, straight from the <laughs> ground to the blimp. Drive by by blimp. <laughs> exactly. Um, Bond proceeds to grab the mooring rope and the blimp takes off with Bond hanging down below. Um, <clears throat> Zoran attempts to take Bond out using the Golden Gate Bridge to run, kind of runs through the Golden Gate Bridge, going to get Bond tied up. But instead, Bond ties them using the mooring rope to the Golden Great Bridge. Mm-hmm. Walken, special note, Walken is brilliant in this scene where he's in the, the you know, the cockpit of the of the blimp, and he's like, "More power! I need yeah. more power!" You know, it's great. It's Pratt classic. My Walken's not good, but he Walken is Walken enough for anybody. It's true. Very true. <laughs> um, uh, but Sutton attacks, who has been kidnapped. She attacks um, Zoran long enough, distracting the situation long enough for the blimp to crash into the bridge. And she escapes to Bond on the top of the Golden Gate Bridge with mm-hmm. Zoran in hot pursuit. We have the final fight with Zoran and Bond, and there's an axe involved, and there's Sutton hanging from the side. Throughout, the, we got a very brief fight, I will say, but we have a little bit of back and forth. Until finally, Zorin falls from the bridge into the water below. And I tell you what, though, although it was a short fight scene, it was a well played fight scene yes. because you're having a battle on a bridge. Obviously, at any point in time, you could slip and fall. So, I don't expect to see a very long fight scene on these bridge cables just because it's it's got to be very i would assume very hard to stay on them so i mean unless they were like crazy super powered ninjas or something i don't see their (laughs) skill level being up there to stay in a long fight where they're doing flips and stuff like that so i think the fight scene was done very well for the location yeah um it wasn't too much it was just enough that you could tell it's kind of like eh, they one of them should have fell like five minutes ago there was always tension that either one of them could have fallen i mean they were both slipping at different moments and it was it was really nice and then the fact we get to that point where walking had fallen enough where you could tell he was past the point of return yeah, it's a giant cable. He can hold on, but you're most likely not coming back from that no, grip, no. Uh, that round of a cable. And the scene between him and then the doctor, which I know we skipped over going through this whole movie, but it was mentioned at one point in time that the doctor did like crazy experiments and stuff back in one of the wars. Yes, and, which is what um, developed Wal- or um, yes, Zorin. Wal- yeah, into, Zorin was yeah. supposed to be technically one of his experiments. children, that yeah. experiments that he created. So there was kind of that father-son dynamic dynamic between yeah. the two of them and when the doctor kind of like saw zorn slip and fall which zorn by the way is kind of like i'm not afraid i'm a crazy person this is kind of funny let's go yeah <laughs> you know he went out in um, style but yeah the very Oops. the very next moment is when zorn falls from the bridge the doc loses his goddamn mind and proceeds to take pot shots at bond from the blimp and mm-hmm. lights a stick of dynamite to throw after um, him. To throw at Bond, but Bond uses the axe that Zoran had brought down to release to you know to cut the rope and release the blimp from the bridge um, before the dock could throw the dynamite, causing him to fall back, mm-hmm. and the dynamite blows up the blimp instead, yep, shattering into a million pieces. In it. And Bond and Sutton are perfectly fine. 
We cut back to jolly old England, where there's Russian M who wants to award Bond the highest medal given by the Russian government, but Bond is missing, and Money Penny is sad. Money Penny sheds sheds a tear. She's sad that Bond's missing because they haven't found him yet. He's missing yep. in action. Cut to Q using his little Robo Rover to investigate Sutton's mansion, and he proceeds to follow a trail of clothes all the way up mm-hmm. to the good old bathroom shower, which they they where they first met, or second met technically, where he finds Bond second. and Sutton in the shower. Bond takes the towel and throws it, covering up, you know, Q's the Robo robot, Rover. Yeah. And Q reports to him that he's fine. He's just cleaning up a few details. Yeah, yeah. Clever, clever whip by Q. Cut to Love credits. Q. Yes, and then the credits roll. And at the end of these credits, and I mentioned this before, Eric, but I've got to let everyone else know. Very disappointing part of this movie to me. <laughs> you get to the end. And instead of seeing the classic outro that we always see at the end of the credits where it says, James Bond will return in so-and-so movie, instead we just get, Bond will return. They don't tell us what movie it is. Nope. However, for my notes, I put the next movie will be The Living Daylights. Indeed. The first Timothy Dalton, James Bond. Which I'm excited for because I've enjoyed more. I obviously enjoyed Connery and um, George Lazenby. Lazenby, for his one-off. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am excited now to get another Bond into the mix. Yeah, to be uh, honest, even with if you, it is just two movies. Yeah, the Timothy Dalton ones are the ones that I probably remember the least. Like I, I mean, I they came out, you know, right around the time I was I was born, and I remember seeing them as a kid several several times. But for some reason, I remember them the least. I think because Pierce Brosnan was, Pierce Brosnan became Bond right at the perfect time for me. Same, yeah, because that's where you I know. was introduced to Bond was with Brosnan. Yeah. So Timothy Dalton and, and my mom was a big Roger Moore fan. So growing up, we watched more of the Pierce Brosnan, Roger Moore, and Sean Connery movies than we did the Timothy Dalton too. Um, so I probably remember the Timothy Dalton ones the least. So I'm, I'm, these are the ones I'm most excited to get into myself, to be honest with you, just cause for me, having seen all of them, these are the ones I remember the least. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so we're, we got a new bond coming on. I'm excited. I'm excited to see what happens mm-hmm. with this. So that is our movie credits rolled. And in my version of the movie that I watched, although it wasn't really there, James Bond will return in the living daylights, which is our next movie. So I'm excited for that. Um, all in all, I thought it was a good movie. I thought it was decent. It was mm-hmm. one of the hires of more, like we said. Um, they had a lot in it. Obviously, there were scenes that I could have done without, like the whole fireman truck <laughs> scene. Although, credit to Frank for putting up with Bond all these years, trying to get the family back in order. Good for mm-hmm. you, man. Support. Um, <laughs> I, that and maybe a few other little scenes. I thought it was a, a well-put-together movie. I thought it had a good plot, a good story, obviously a great villain, good henchman. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we could have had more gadgets. We could have had an actual, you know, Q time, but Q was put in there, which so I'm okay with that. Um, but I think it was a nice, well-rounded movie as far as the type of bond that we expect as far as gadgets. There wasn't really... A lot of chase scenes, but enough. It was just the right amount of story action to pull yeah, everything together. It was together. a good so balance. It was good. Yeah, I thought it was a good balance movie. I liked it. Definitely good. Um, 
so I'll let you tell, say your few words if you want. If not, you take over with uh, trivia time. Um, let's roll into trivia time, man. I'll wrap up my my final thoughts once we get to the ranking. All right. Well, then it's trivia time, Eric. It's trivia, trivia, trivia time. Da-da-da. <laughs> <laughs> trivia fact number uno. Uh, Sir Roger Moore turned 57 during the filming of this movie, making him the oldest actor ever to play James Bond. Sir Sean Connery was 52 when he did his last stint as James Bond in Never Say Never Again, which you know was up against Octopussy in the last one we talked about, mm-hmm. the non-canon James Bond. On his DVD commentary, Sir Roger Moore has said that this is definitely his least favorite movie of the seven that he did, um, mainly because of the increased violence. Well, Roger Moore was not a fan of the the excessive violence, you know, particularly like Zoran's character. Um, but he also felt because he also felt it was in part because he was too old for the part. Um, he also confirmed that he felt there was little chemistry between him and Tanya Roberts, play, who played who played Miss um, Sutton. Mm-hmm. And he and Grace Jones, who played Mayday, really did not get along. Um, so there was seemed to be some tension on set between the the the, the various leads. No mention Which, of um, no mention of um, Christopher Walken though. But I mean, who doesn't like Walken, right? I mean, I think if anything, that tension might have helped with their characters a little better because they definitely played off that. I mean, maybe not so much on Roger Moore because obviously Bond didn't really hate Mayday, but the way that Mayday threw that anger towards Bond throughout yeah. the movie, I mean, it fits. Whether It worked that, for the character, you know, yeah. Yes, I mean, it worked no matter what happened off set, but... This was also, fact number three, this was Luis Maxwell's finally final appearance as Miss Moneypenny. Apparently, after that, she after she was told that she would be retiring from the role, um, she thought that she could become the new M as a promotion. However, which I thought would I think would be really cool, but at the time, producer Albert Broccoli believed that the audience would not accept James Bond being given orders by a woman. So M did not become a woman until Dame Judi Dench took the role in Goldeneye in 1995. Which, again, was the end that I remember yes, yeah. <laughs> growing up. Um, with this being Louis, Ma- Louis Maxwell's final appearance as Miss Money bring- Moneypenny, it brings her total... Screen time across all James Bond movies in which she appeared to one hour. She also has delivered less than 200 words throughout all of her appearances as Moneypenny. Wow. As I, as much as, as well as we know her and as well as we love her, she's been on screen for just at one hour and delivered less than 200 words. But I mean, she's, She's been in every movie from the very every, beginning, right? Yeah, she's been in every Bond movie. Yeah. So far. Yeah. Not going further, but No, um, no, but still. The final scenes for Louis Maxwell and Sir Roger Moore each intentionally make a reference to the end to their end with the franchise. Maxwell's last scene as Money Penny shows her in tears, while Moore's last scene as Bond in the film quite literally has him throwing in the towel. You know what? This both of those crossed my mind, but not in that reference. Yep, those were those were intentionally in, intentional references to the both of those actors leaving the franchise. Christopher Walken became the first Academy Award-winning actor to star in a Bond movie. 
God, he was good too. <laughs> uh, the disclaimer at the very beginning of the movie, which we neglected to mention, reads, neither the name Zorin or any other name or character in this film is meant to portray a real company or actual person. Was added. Oh, yeah, I did see that. Yes, was added after producers discovered a real company known as Zorin Latacorbic Limited. Their industry was fashion design, so it wanted to make sure they that they weren't, you know, talking ill about the real fashion design company. The selection of Duran Duran to perform the theme song was seen as, seen as an attempt to help market this movie and potential future James Bond movies towards a younger audience, specifically the quote-unquote MTV generation. Which works, which is probably part of the reason why now, you know, pretty much every Bond movie now has somebody famous do the the song, you know. Yeah. Um. This movie is often often credited with helping spark the interest in snowboarding due to its use in the pre-credits opening action snow sequence. The snowboarding, sto- snowboarding stunts were performed by Thomas Sims, the American inventor of the snowboard. Huh. Mm-hmm. Um, the Beach Boys I mean... song California Girls can be briefly heard as an, as an in-joke. When James Bond snowboards, the song does not feature on the soundtrack album. So the soundtrack of the film came out. That song wasn't on it. That is awesome. Yeah, but I thought it was kind of cool that the uh, the inventor of the uh, snowboard was the one who was doing the stunts. That is actually pretty cool because I figured that just like skiing has been in big for all of the movies up until now. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that the snowboarding was thrown in there, I kind of thought... Yeah. was because snowboarding was, was probably starting to, starting to become big. big. But I did yeah. not know that it was the inventor. I mean, so that's kind of yeah. really cool. It was that um, cultural. And that this movie is credited to help spark the interest in snowboarding. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, that is, is kind of neat. neat. The role of Russian agent Pola Ivanova was originally meant to be the character Anya, Anya Ama, Amasova, which was Agent Triple X from The Spy Who Loved Me. Okay, I thought, I was like, once you started saying the name, I was like, that was Triple X, wasn't it? Yeah, it was originally supposed to be Triple X from The Spy Who Loved Me. But when Barbara Bach declined to reprise her role, they wrote a new character. The new character um, was created and cast by Fiona Fullerton. Cast with Fiona Fullerton. That would have made a lot more sense, too. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> according to the James Bond encyclopedia, Encyclopedia Felix Leiter was originally supposed to be Bond's CIA contact in San you know Francisco. I was even thinking about that when we were talking about the CIA agent earlier. I'm like, mm-hmm. man, where's what happened to Felix? Man, we don't see yep. him no more. Um, it was originally intended to be Felix Leiter. However, owing to Chinatown being such a prominent part of the city, David Yip was cast as CIA agent Chuck Lee instead. Well, um. I would have been upset if um, Felix died. So yeah, no joke, right? Um, all of the all, and, the, and we've we said this earlier on. All of the action scenes with James Bond, all of the action scenes with James Bond were filmed using stunt doubles, and that was one of those things you could definitely tell that it was mm-hmm. not Roger Moore. Um, in literally the simplest of stunt scenes, it wasn't Roger Moore. Um, final fact: Mayday. The f- Mayday is the first henchwoman to have a sexual relationship with the leading with 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 a leading Bond villain. Hmm. So no other female henchman has ever had sex with her boss except for Mayday. 
Up to this point, though, right? Up to this point, yes. Okay. Um, because I started thinking, like, hmm. Mayday, Mayday's <clears throat> name uh, comes from the French term. Uh, I'm, I'm, I don't speak French, so Medis, I believe is how it's pronounced, which literally translates to help me in English. That's which makes sense. Mayday, Mayday, yeah. Mayday. You know, help me, help me. Um, yeah, so that is that is trivia time. All right, all right. So now the fun part. We've got to do our ranking system. Now, yes. we've kind of gotten to the habit of kind of briefly talking about our ranking system before just to kind of help us out with where we place these movies. Um, so with that, I won't get too long into our ranking system, but obviously we try to rank these movies as a whole and try to keep our personal ranking to the side doesn't always work but um with this for this movie specifically uh we'll get to the villains in a second we kind of agree that we both came into this movie around the same time we didn't really have to argue too much on this movie. no we were we were um, literally dead on where we thought this movie would end up <clears throat> what's our current ranking ranking is as follows number one from Russia with Love. Number two, You Only Live Twice. Number three, The Spy Who Loved Me. Number four, Thunderball. Number five, For Your Eyes Only. Number six, On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Number seven, Goldfinger. Number eight, Dr. No. Number nine, The Man with the Golden Gun. Number 10, Octopussy. Number 11, Moonraker. Number 12, Live and Let Die. Number 13, Diamonds Are Forever. Mm-mm-mm. The list is getting so long. Indeed. Good movie all around. Uh, we've said it multiple times. <clears throat> good story. In my, ter- or my mind, a good mix of spycraft, gadgets, action. Could have been a little less. Could have been a little bit more. Could have been word, uh, you know, different story. That mm-hmm. fire truck scene was the only thing going against me except for the beach boys song in the, in the <laughs> beginning but i'm kind of half and half with these two which one's worse to me uh that all being said i think this is a really good movie and it deserves to be a decent bond movie one of the better roger Moore movies i think it should be at a decent spot on the list i don't think it deserves to be on the bottom doesn't deserve to be on the top either but i think somewhere in like where were we talking about earlier? We we had a couple of movies. Yeah, we were we were, we were leaning towards with. around number nine. It was the debate was whether or not it was better than the Man with the Golden Gun or not. Which um, I think we were kind of debating that it could have been. Yeah, so. I, I think it is. I think um, just to kind of get my thoughts out there, I think um, <clears throat> Christopher Walken as as Zoran is a phenomenal performance as a villain. You know, Roger Moore was a bit weaker in this in this one for me, but he was also old. You know, and, and you yeah, could you could tell, well. yeah. I mean, you could you could tell he was he was he was too he was too old for the role. Um, but all in all, I really enjoyed the movie, and the movie moved at a very quick pace too. Yeah, like it didn't feel. I mean, what did I say my runtime? What the runtime uh, was on it? Two eleven, I think. Somewhere around there. I mean, yeah, two hours and eleven minutes, and it, it did not feel like two hours and eleven minutes. It it moved at a very quick pace. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, it's definitely better than Octopussy. And as much as yep. I, you know, in the review said I love the Man with the Golden Gun, and it was one of my favorites when I was a kid. Um, I I like this movie better than the Man with the Golden Gun. Well, and we we did mention about that movie before recording that the Man with the Golden Gun was a really good Bond movie. However, as far as the story goes, on a 
Bond level. Yeah. You didn't have that like world ending catastrophe, whatever. It was more along the lines of someone's after Bond for a challenge. Bond essentially accepts, takes on the challenge, defeats a bad guy done over with yeah there might have been some other stuff going on at the same time but it wasn't like bond was sent out to stop the bad guy from ruining the day and taking over world domination you know it was you know not quite on the same story level and that's why even though it was a good good movie it doesn't deserve to be higher on the overall bond ranking list because it doesn't fit the full-on bond theme of bad guys trying to take over the world or do something really evil and Bond's got to go in and stop them and save the day. No. And the, so. the simple, the simple <clears throat> thing I love about this is it's, it's Goldfinger in the eighties. Essentially. Yeah. Is basically what it is. Um, so Which also I mean, was higher up on the list. Yeah. Are we in agreement? We number nine, just below Dr. No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, does that work for you? Yeah. Cause like I said, above the man I, with the golden gun, but below Dr. No, cause it's not better than yeah. Dr. No. No, no. Doctor No had a little bit better story plot to it and more spycraft. It was just a good old mystery spy movie, which I liked about it. But uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm I'm okay with that. Awesome. So yeah, so the, the the final ranking is number one from Russia with Love. Number two, You Only Live Twice. Number three, The Spy Who Loved Me. Number four, Thunderball. Number five, For Your Eyes Only. Number six, On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Number seven, Goldfinger. Number eight, Doctor No. The new number nine, A View to to a Kill. Number 10, The Man with the Golden Gun. Number 11, Octopussy. Number 12, Moonraker. Number 13, Live and Let Die. Number 14, Diamonds Are Forever. All right. That out of the way. Now we get to the good stuff. The villain list. Uh, Christopher Walken played an excellent bad guy. Oh, absolutely. Um, however, the type of bad guy that he played, I feel, hurts him as far as our villain list. And we talked about this briefly before as well. Because he was that, like, psychotic, I don't care, I'm the bad guy, no one can stop me, which yeah. was great. That's what uh, powered him through this movie. It powers him up the list of villains. But even with Mayday being that essentially Jaws through this movie, the super strong bad guy that does whatever you want and then all of a sudden at the end becomes the good guy and saves the day. Um, The fact that within the top of our list, our villains are well-rounded. They're smart. They're clever. They're diabolical. They've got good plans. They're not afraid to execute them. All of which that are good things to have in a villain. Walken's character, I felt like, covered half of those. So even though he was a great, crazy, out-there villain that wasn't afraid to run from the KGB, do whatever, take over the computer chips and this and that, I I felt like he wasn't that serious, headstrong type of villain, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, It was just kind of like, I'm king of the world, you can't stop me. And it wasn't like, I'm clever, I planned ahead. Like, some of the other top villains were um, not just, you know, strong with their purpose, but clever on how they executed that purpose. Yeah. So where are we going to put him in? Okay, well, first off, real quick, current villain list. Number one, Goldfinger and Oddjob from Goldfinger. Number two is still number two from Thunderball. And I think he'll forever be there just because he is number two. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Number three is Strumberg and Jaws from The Spy Who Loved Me. Uh Number four is Christasso's Locke and 
I'm just going to say Eric from Your Eyes Only. Yep. Five, Spectre General in red, one of my favorites, from Russia with Love. Uh, six is Drax and Jaws from Runeraker. Seven is number one, aka Blowfield from the head or from You Only Live Twice. I keep putting down that he's the head of Spectre. I don't know why. This isn't my notes. <laughs> number eight, Scaramanga and Knickknack from The Man with the Golden Gun. Uh, nine, Kanaga, Claw, and Baron from Live and Let Die. Number ten, Dr. No um, from his own movie. Eleven, Blowfield, Wit and Kid from Diamonds Are Forever. <clears throat> 12 is Blowfield from On Her Majesty's Secret Service. And then 13 is Khan and Gambinda. I can't remember the... Gambinda. Gambinda, that was what. Uh, from Octopussy. Yes. That being said, and I know all of our audience will be, you know, gasping in awe when I say this. I was accepting Eric's... Uh, actually, no, I actually it was like, hey, Eric... I think we should put him here. And Eric's like, what? Okay, I accept. Um, I feel like he should be the number... They should be the new number five. They should be in the top five. Who, they were great who, who are they replacing, Jordan? We're not going to talk about this. We're going to skip this section. Who, who's they're going to be number, number six, five. Jordan? No, nobody. Nobody. They, they're going to split. It. They're both going to be number five. You can say it. No, they're both going to be number five. No, there's no ties. Broken <sighs> list there's ties. <laughs> Well, the Spectre General is going to go to number six, and Red's going to stay with them at number five. <laughs> so That's Jordan's, right. we did agree. Jordan's Jordan's precious Spectre General and Red is being moved to the number six. I don't spot. care about the Spectre General. I just like Red as the <clears throat> yeah, anti bond. Uh, and no, we're, I, we're, and, and we, so so it? it's it's official. We're in number yes, five. Yes, uh, I feel like because they had a strong. Well, I mean. Walking alone played a great villain that deserved to be above Red. Even though I liked Red as an anti-Bond, Walking could have been a good anti-Bond had he just been on Bond's level yeah. and not been the villain. So that alone is super powerful. And Mayday being the essentially Jaws, both Jaws is put into one. Also a lot of power to the ranking. I just, and I, I explained this before, with Christasos mainly, not including Locke and Eric from um, For Your Eyes Only, Christasis was a good villain who played the undercover friend, but was the bad guy, kind of spinning the web the whole time. Mm-hmm. Very good, knew what he was doing, had everything um, not only under control, but was pointing Bond in the wrong direction. He had control of everything until Bond finally figured out what was going on. Yeah. And that kind of villain is what you know I think should be the top of the list or closer to the top. Same thing with. Stromberg and the way he was kind of clever with trying to push things in different directions. And obviously Goldfinger number two were both very clever, good, good villains. Um, not saying that uh, Zorin is not a good villain, but because he's not that clever, diabolical, and just kind of like, I don't care, I'm going for it. I think he yeah. should be in the top five. So. As much as I hate to say it, I'm fine with moving Red down the list. <laughs> or, I'm sorry, I'm fine with moving the general down the list. Red's just going to stay with uh, Zorn and yeah. Mayday. He was in this movie. We just didn't know it. <laughs> and I, I agree with you. In my in my personal ranking, like you and I talked about before the show, I'd probably put Zorn a little bit higher personally. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but that's also might be my walk-in bias as well. Yeah. No, I don't get me wrong. I love walk-in. Walk-in is, is a um, great actor. But... <clears throat> But yeah, as far so, as the the villain character goes. So with that said, Jordan, what's the final rankings? 
So we have number one, Goldfinger and Ajab again, Goldfinger. Number two, still number two at Thunderball. Um, three, Stromberg and Jaws, Spy Loved Me. Four, Christasos, Locke, and Eric from Your Eyes Only. Five is now going to be Azorin, uh, Mayday, and Red from... <laughs> Sorry, I had to put it in there. Uh, <laughs> Zorn and Mayday. <laughs> and Red. He was in the background somewhere. I know he was from A View to a Kill. Uh, number five was Spectre General and Red from from with Russia with Love. Six is Drax and Jaws from Moonraker. I'm sorry. I'm getting my numbers mixed up because I forgot to move them all around. Six is Spectre General and Red. Seven is Drax and Jaws. Um... Eight is Blowfield from You Only Live Twice. Nine is Scaramanga and Nick Knack from The Man with the Golden Gun. Ten, Kanaga, Claw, and Baron from Live and Let Die. Eleven, Dr. No. Uh, Twelve is Blowfield, Wit and Kid from Diamonds Are Forever. Thirteen is Blowfield from On Her Majesty's Secret Service. And fourteen is Khan and Gominda from Octopussy. And that is our new villain list. It's going to be a long list when we're done, man. Oh, yeah, I can't wait. Red will still be at five. I will find a way. He will come back. He will come back to the top of the rankings. I'm just saying. I don't know how, but we will move him. Um, so with that, that is this week's episode. And with that, I guess I can't wait till next week. I, I'm really excited to do um, Dalton movies because I don't think I've ever seen Dalton movie. That I, that We're I getting into anyway. Dalton. The Dalton movies kick off the, the more modern bonds. Well, I know I figured, and yeah. I know I've been patiently waiting for Brosman movies because that's what I grew up on, and I haven't really seen them in years, so mm-hmm. I'm excited to see those because that was the Bond I remember, and that's the Bond I've been looking forward to. And now that I've got these actual Bond, like early what set the stage Bonds in all these reviews and in my head now, now I have to go back and look at my childhood Bond and be like, eh. <laughs> Was it really that good? <laughs> yeah. Um, so what's the next one, Jordan? What's the next movie? So next week uh, is The Living Daylights, Dalton's first movie. So we got a new Bond, one. got a good movie, hopefully. We've, um, we've mentioned Dalton's name so many times in trivia time. He's been considered for Bond countless times. Once he was too young, the mm-hmm. other time Roger Moore wasn't ready to, they weren't ready to move on from Roger Moore. So he's been considered to be Bond many, many times, and he finally gets his shot. So. Yep. All right, well, with that, Eric, I'll let you uh, close us out. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you again for joining us for A View to a Kill, the final swan song of Roger Moore and the James Bond cinematic universe. If you liked what you listened to on this episode, don't forget you can follow us on any social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Presents. Share your ranking list with us. Let us know if you love the walking as much as I do. If the walk and walks the walk and talks the talk, if you know what I'm saying. Or if you think Red should be on the top of the list like I do. <laughs> uh, but yeah, let us let us know on any uh, any social media of your choice at Who Do Presents. All right, guys. Well, with that, till next week, the living daylights. Again, this is Eric and Jordan. Let the credits roll. <laughs>